Election College, Episode 25, The Election of 1856. In this episode, Democrats say thanks but no thanks to Pierce, and the Republicans run for the first time. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Goff. And I'm Ben Smith. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Election College. Let's get into it. So... It's 1856, Ben. Again? Yeah. I feel like we just had 1856. I'm partying like it's 1856 this week. (laughs) Hey, who's the president right now? Yeah, Frankie. Frankie. Frankie Pierce. Our buddy Frankie. If you remember from the 1915... No, that's wrong. Not 1915. (laughs) Where did that even come from? If you remember from the 1852 episode... uh, Frankie's presidency gets off to a pretty tragic beginning before he's even inaugurated. Yeah, so when he was president-elect, his 11-year-old son, Benjamin, was killed in a train accident that Pierce and his wife actually witnessed. That'd be incredibly rough, I imagine. Uh, Jane, his wife, uh, wondered if the train accident was actually divine punishment because her husband had pursued and accepted a gift of high office. Yeah, the whole thing with Benjamin was really sad. And one thing we haven't mentioned up to this point is that Benjamin even wrote a letter to his mom stating that he hoped his dad's candidacy wouldn't be successful. Yeah, and Jane hated uh, how everything happened so much that whenever... uh Whenever she found out that Frankie had won the Democratic Party's nomination in 1852, she fainted. And she just, the whole dark horse thing really rocked the Pierce family. Uh, it was not the best situation for them. Yeah. So he's inaugurated, and a couple months into his presidency, his vice president, William King, dies. Yeah. We didn't say a whole lot of details about King's death, uh, partially because it's it's just kind of a passing thing at this point, but he was sick with tuberculosis several months before the inauguration in 1853. And so he goes to Cuba to recuperate in a warmer climate. Uh, They did that a lot in those days if you had any money. And Congress actually passed a special law that would allow him to be sworn in before the American consul in Havana. After a while, it's pretty obvious to everyone King's not going to recover, and he decides he wants to die at his home in Alabama, and he returns there and dies on April 17th. So obviously, someone takes his place, right? Uh, No. Can you believe this? The office of vice president is actually vacant for the remainder of Pierce's term as president. And hey, Ben, you remember our friend, um, the president for a day, David Atchison? He is not our friend after what we found out about him in the last episode. (laughs) I know. When we first mentioned him a couple episodes ago, I was thinking, okay, so he's president for a day. He's gone. Right. Um, but he keeps popping up and 
ladies and gentlemen, he is very pro-slavery. Um, so that's the reason he's not our friend. Um, he becomes the next in line to the presidency. Yeah, so there's no vice president, but he what what is he, the pro temp pro tempore? Yeah. The Senate president becomes the next in line after the vice president, et cetera, et cetera. If you've ever watched House of Cards, that's how you get there. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> uh, President Pierce is all about helping to unite the different factions of the Democratic Party. Notice, not all the parties together, but the Democratic Party. And he was a dark horse candidate. Many didn't support his nomination, so he knew that he had to bring everybody together. Yeah, so he's even appointing people to his administration who didn't support the Compromise of 1850. And actually, all of Pierce's cabinet nominations were confirmed unanimously and immediately by the Senate. Right, and so Pierce spent the few first weeks of his term uh, just kind of sorting through hundreds of different lower-level federal positions to be filled. Apparently, there were a lot of vacancies or positions that needed covered, and this was really just a chore for him. And he wanted to represent everybody, like we said, and or everybody in the party. And really, nobody is going to be fully happy with every decision you make. But he was trying to satisfy the most amount of people. Yeah. So there's all kinds of bitterness between the different factions of the party. And before long, the Northern newspapers actually accuse Frankie of filling his government with pro-slavery secessionists, while Southern newspapers accused him of abolitionism. You can't win if you're the president. No, it's kind of like you can't please everyone all the time. Yeah. I wonder if he coined that. Uh, (laughs) He would have had good reason to do so. Probably his Uh, therapist told him that. Yeah. So so all the different factions between the pro and anti administration Democrats uh, they all ramped up very quickly and here comes the New York Democratic Party. Yeah, so the more conservative hard shell Democrats or the hards of New York they're deeply skeptical of the Pierce administration um which was associated with his Secretary of State Marcy and the more moderate New York faction, which was the soft-shell Democrats, they were called the softs. Hmm, hard and softs. That's pretty, That's pretty uh, clever. Pretty genius marketing right there. Yeah. Yeah. So Pierce wants to run an efficient and accountable government, and his cabinet members are implemented during an early system of the civil service examinations, which we know now to be much different, but it was a good starting point. Yeah, so... The Interior Department, it was actually reformed by Secretary Robert McClelland. He systematized its operations and expanded the use of paper records and really went after fraud. And he actually expanded the role of the U.S. Attorney General in appointing federal judges and attorneys, which was really an important step in the eventual development of the Justice Department. You said about how he reformed everything and expanded the use of paper records. And I'm pretty certain now that would be a step backwards. It's just kind of funny how in 150 years things can change so drastically. Yeah, I mean, we got paper. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's nice. Until something burns. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, so Frankie nominates John Archibald Campbell for the Supreme Court. And Campbell was an advocate of states' rights and 
this is like this is Frankie's one shot at nominating a Supreme Court appointment, and uh, he he picks carefully. Yeah, and keep in mind all of these appointments and reforms and so on is right before the Civil War, so it's really important. So we're not just going through this just to be like right. Whatever. But anyway, um, so the Secretary of War at the time was Jefferson Davis, and he leads surveys with the Corps of Topographical Engineers. um, And they're looking at doing a transcontinental railroad. That sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, I mean, why not? And the Democratic Party, they had long rejected federal appropriations for internal improvements, but Davis felt that such a project could be justified as a constitutional national security objective. Jefferson Davis, always with the workarounds going there. But he actually uh, deploys the Army Corps of Engineers to supervise different construction projects in Washington, D.C., or I guess as it was called, uh, the District of Columbia. And he includes the expansion of the capital, the, the U.S. capital, and also this is during the time when the Washington Monument was built. Yeah, and so about foreign affairs, um, Frankie wanted to see that U.S. diplomats were dressing like common Americans. Um, you can imagine at the time with the Europeans, they were all in their fancy clothing and, um, Frankie wanted the U S diplomats to look real and authentic like Americans. Also during this time, the border with Mexico was solidified and the contiguous U S pretty much looks like it does now at this point. And this was really kind of a big, uh, big deal because there had been a long. This is really kind of a big deal because for a long time the border was not known, and there were often small disputes that popped up here and there about that. Even though we're not going to get into it because it's kind of crazy, there's even talk at this time about annexing Canada, and that's just insane, right? Right, right. And so they even had um, Commodore Matthew C. Perry go over to Japan and try to set up a modest trade agreement, which was successful. So you can imagine how long did it take to get to Japan at that time. And Frankie Pierce, he was doing it. Okay, so I don't know that this happened, but I'm just going to set up some alternative fiction here or alternative history for a minute. Imagine if you were somebody that they had sent to like Japan from the U.S. in 18, uh, early 60s. And everything's like going along like you think it is. And then you leave and then you take forever to get there. You take forever to get back and you come back and like, there's a civil war broken out and there's two countries. That would be nuts. Can you imagine how much of a shock to this? Like that could never happen now because of all the technology in place, but how much a shock to the system. Anyway, that didn't happen, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Yeah. Just bizarre. It'd be crazy. So do you think we should probably talk about the election now? Um, this is election college, right? This is election college. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the election. Or at least the lady at the beginning of the show says it is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's a political party we're having right now. Right. Right. So Frankie, uh, he's going into 1856 and he's like, of course the Democrats are going to nominate me. I'm awesome. Uh, Obviously. And, And the Northerners are like, oh, uh. 
Yeah, no, because remember the whole Kansas Nebraska Act thing? We're not we're not getting in on that. Yeah. And supporters of Pierce, um, they're like, Hey, Stephen A. Douglas, would you like to form an alliance? And Stephen A. Douglas was like, Let me get back with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, James Buchanan is over hanging out in England, being the United States minister to England, and he was really untainted by the whole Kansas-Nebraska deal. Yeah, um, Buchanan, he wasn't seeking the office of president really at all. He was just, he wasn't involved with the, the I was going to say riffraff, but <laughs> the, we'll be more diplomatic and say the factionalism of the Democratic Party at the time. Sounds beautiful. Uh, the Democratic Convention comes up, and Pierce gets lots of votes from the southern states, and Buchanan gets all the votes from the northern states. Yeah, and to get the nomination, they needed a two-thirds majority um, of votes. And nobody wins until the 14th ballot. And each time a vote is taken, Frankie keeps losing more and more ouch hey just because i'm gonna be uh really honest and say i don't remember how this works do they still do the ballots like is there actually a contest at the conventions nowadays there has been there's been disputes i know going into the conventions okay um i think back in 76 and I'm sure we'll get a lot of comments about this. There was a huge difference of opinion um, between Reagan and Ford right, right. at the Republican National Convention. Um, yeah, we'll have to get back into We'll have to look more into that as we approach that election. But I think anymore, you kind of pretty much go into the convention knowing who it is. Right, right. So why even have it? Come on. It would look really bad. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> if they're like, hey, Sally is going to be the nominee for the party. And then they have the convention and like Jim <laughs> like gets Jim the nomination. And Sally's like, what? Yeah. Poor Sally. I've always yeah. felt bad for Sally when things I, like that happen. Yeah. She always gets the shaft. Yeah. Uh, so Douglas is getting votes and he's starting to tie things up. And Frankie's like, you know. I really don't want Buchanan to win. So here you go, Steve. Steve yeah, and, that is. Yeah. And so Steve is like, hey, um, you know what? I'm just going to hang out. I'm not going to run until 1860. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah, he withdraws. And then, whoops, Buchanan is the nominee. And uh, the Democrats are like, oh, huh. we didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and and Frank's like, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't either, but it's cool. So it, it just kind of turns into a bad thing. But the Democrats are like, okay, listen, you're not that bad of a guy. How about your buddy, you know, John C. Breckenridge? How about we make him the VP nominee? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So Frank's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm gonna James. I'm gonna I'm gonna endorse Buchanan. Cool. So the Republicans. They come onto the scene, and their big thing is, hey, you remember the Kansas-Nebraska Act? Uh-huh. That's a disaster. Yeah, definitely we're, a disaster. We're against that. 
And they're really getting organized. And by the, the next year, really, in 1855, they've got several governorships and about 13 seats in the U.S. House. They're all against uh, slavery at the 1856 at the convention. And they're saying, we like congressional sovereignty in the territories. That's opposed to popular sovereignty. Yeah, and they what they didn't like for sure was polygamy in the Mormon settlements that were all around. They were not fans of that. So they were also all about using different federal funds to build a transcontinental railroad. They're, they're just kind of all over the place with their opinions. Yeah, and so they nominate John C. Fremont um, from California. And Fremont... Really, he was like the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Um, that's wrong. The expansion of slavery, that's wrong. And yeah, Fremont. Actually, if you notice, sometimes you'll see Fremont has the little, what is that thing called above the E? Uh, I don't know what it is above the E. I know what it is above the N. So is it like a A? Is it Fremont? Ah, that's a good question. Maybe it's French or something. I, I don't know. We should have Googled that. <laughs> we probably should have. Somebody else can for us. In the meantime, we're going to tell you about this third party that's called the American Party. And they were part of the Know Nothing Movement, which we mentioned. Oh, was that in this episode? or I don't know. We mentioned it before, the Know Nothing Movement. Yeah, and they're noticing the large number of Irish and German Catholics coming into the country but and that period between the 1830s and the 1860s. And they really made the religious differences between Catholics and Protestants a political issue. Yeah, for sure. The different activists formed secret groups, and they coordinated their votes and started throwing their weight around because candidates who were sympathetic to their cause were definitely something they wanted to have in place. And so when they get asked about their secret organizations— the members were supposed to just reply with, I know nothing. And so then everybody starts calling them the know-nothings. Yeah, and even on the West Coast in San Francisco, a know-nothing chapter was founded in 1854 to oppose Chinese immigration. And um, members of this movement actually included a judge of the state Supreme Court who ruled that no Chinese person could testify as a witness against a white man in court. Man. That's like they definitely had some power they were throwing around. Yeah, and these are like the original xenophobes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and they got they got so crazy that they actually went as far as to nominate someone for president, Millard Fillmore. You remember him, Millie? Yeah. Yeah, and get this, Ben. Some historians say that Millie wasn't even a nativist or a know-nothing. Yeah, in fact, he was actually even out of the country when the nomination was was made, and nobody asked him if he wanted to run <laughs> as, a, as the American party. Yeah, and hey, get this. Uh-huh. In the spirit of Monty Python, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> the Whigs, yeah. um, they're like, hey. All three of them were like, hey. Um. Yeah, we like Millie. We're endorsing him. 
so I wonder if were there senators or or other positions that had been elected as a Whig, and then when the Whig party was like almost dead, could they be like, all right, I'm uh, I'm a Republican now? Yeah, I think that's probably what ended up happening. Be kind of interesting. You know what's crazy about this election? Lots of things. (laughs) Yeah. None of the candidates Uh went out and really campaigned. Yeah, that's definitely an anomaly, especially if you compare it to today. But even at this point in history, the candidates are really starting to campaign more, and it just doesn't happen this time around. Yeah. And so we've established the fact that The Republicans, they're really opposed to the extension of slavery in the territories. And their campaign slogan was free speech, free press, free soil, free men, Fremont, and victory. (laughs) The Democrats said that, listen, if the Republicans win, we're going to have a civil war on our hands. And then the Republican platform, they, they just opposed the Missouri Compromise being repealed through the Kansas Nebraska Act. They were opposed to popular sovereignty. Uh, they accused Frankie's administration of allowing uh, fraudulent territorial government to be imposed on uh, the citizens of the Kansas Territory. And then they said that the violence that had raged during this whole time was also the uh, Pierce administration's fault. So they're like, okay, listen, Kansas, it needs to be a free state right now. Yeah, and... You know, we got the Democrats, and they're pretty, they're pretty strong on the whole manifest destiny thing, and and the Republicans are like, you know what, this talk about annexing Cuba from Spain, um, no, let's let's not do that. And it's kind of interesting then, because we've been talking a lot about that, about manifest destiny and filling the continent and everything. Meanwhile, you've got all of these issues going on with the Spanish and with uh-huh. Cuba and you know Spain did not want to give Cuba up and this goes on for a long time and we simply don't have enough time to talk about that issue in this podcast but we'd love to talk about it some people actually say that Cuba is still owned by Spain really no i just totally made that up <laughs> <laughs> So really, the Republicans are truly focused against slavery, and they say it destroys all the values that the Union has been founded upon. So why don't we see how far we get with the results here of the election? Yeah, so in the free states, this really was a three-way campaign. And Fremont won 45% of the vote compared to 41.5% for Buchanan. Fillmore got um, just over 13%. So Fremont got 114 electoral votes, and Buchanan got 62. In the slave states, the contest was, for all intents and purposes, pretty much just Buchanan and Fillmore. And Buchanan wins 56.1% of the vote, Fillmore wins actually 43.8% of the vote and just a measly 0.1% for Fremont. So we get 112 electoral votes for Buchanan and eight for Fillmore. Yeah, so Buchanan actually wins a total of 174 electoral votes. It's the majority. 
and is elected. Uh, Fremont didn't get any votes in 10 of the 14 slave states. And yeah, Buchanan's our man. James Buchanan, the new president, he comes in and he says, I'm going to clean this place up. He says, the object of my administration will be to destroy sectional party, north or south, and to restore harmony to the union under a national and conservative government. How do you think he's going to do with that, Jason? I think he's going to do a smashing job. Yeah, let's, uh, let's just wait and see about that. So, Ben, anything else about 1856? If you want to go ahead and jump the gun and just see what happens in the next oh, 10, 15 years or so, you can head over to electioncollege.com slash Amazon and just find some books about you know the Civil War or something. Maybe we'll talk about that someday here. Or really anything else you buy at electioncollege.com slash Amazon will go to help us out. won't cost you a dime more, and we'll really appreciate it. Yeah, and don't forget, we are on iTunes, and we love reviews. We love the good reviews. Well, it's good to grow from the bad reviews, too, though we don't really have it. Nobody leave us a bad review. Come on. We, we've grown enough. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we would definitely appreciate your feedback, though, in all seriousness, good or bad. We'd love to fix things that are bad and make things that are good even better. Don't forget to also check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Election College on all three of those. Well, that's all I have for this episode. Yeah, I think I'm good, too. This is Ben. This is Jason. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you later.